we need that help as well. We need to know what it means to live in Christ in Tallahassee. And so we are coming to the words of the Apostle Paul, this early Christian leader, uh, but words that are given to us by God's Spirit. Um, And they are a treasure, they are powerful, they are full of grace and truth. Colossians 1, I'm going to begin again in verse 1 and read through verse 8. We'll focus on verses 3 to 8, but I'm going to read the whole passage to give us context. Colossians 1, verses 1 to 8. These are the words of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help as we come to these words. So many of these words are, are, are ones that we hear a lot. Words like grace and love and faith and hope. And we hear them so much that sometimes they lose their weight and their meaning for us. And so as we put ourselves under the gift of these words, we pray that you would open our heart to their significance. That we would feel and know their beauty their weight and their transforming power. May your spirit open our eyes and our ears to receive this message. And may this message change us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gratitude can sometimes be stressful. Many of us experienced that a few weeks ago. When you open the present and you feel the immediate pressure to respond with the appropriate level of gratitude, right? To say thanks in the right way. And it's funny to me how different families and different groups take on different habits of doing this. In my family, the way to show gratitude is to transpose the register of your voice a little bit higher. Oh, this is really nice. (laughs) And to hug the giver. No matter how many presents you get, you go and hug them every time you get the present, as soon as you open the present. Uh, many of you know that my family and I, we lived in Malawi, Africa for a couple of years, and one of the ways to show gratitude in Malawi is if someone serves you a meal, the way to thank them for it is to eat it, eat all of it, no matter what. And so I remember one Sunday we traveled with some students and staff to a rural church out in the village, and uh, we ministered during the morning service, and as was the custom, they served us lunch afterwards, and we as was custom, ate it, and we ate all of it. And that was fine, except then the pastor wanted us to visit 
another member in his church, and so we went to that home, and there was another full meal laid out for us. And although we were very full, according to custom, we had to sit down and we had to eat it. And we had to eat all of it. It was a very uncomfortable ride home. (laughs) Gratitude can be stressful. It can be difficult. It can be hard, and we feel that, I think, sometimes as we come to the Bible. One of the major themes of the letter that is in front of us, the letter to the church in Colossians, is a theme of gratitude. That if we are going to live life in Christ, in Jesus, it will be a life that says, with its words and its actions, thank you. And we hear that message often, and isn't it sometimes stressful to hear it? Because how does that happen? How do we do that? Where does that thank you come from? How do we live out that call to gratitude? Well, at the beginning of this letter, before Paul commands us to be grateful, he demonstrates gratitude for us. He models saying thank you at the beginning of his words to us. He begins this letter as he does many of his letters with a thanksgiving prayer. And so I want us to come with the stress that we feel at gratitude and consider this text. Paul, as he says, thank you. And we will see here that we learn gratitude by paying attention and making connections. We learn gratitude by paying attention and making connections. So first of all, paying attention. Paul says thank you here for three things. He is thankful, he is grateful for faith, for love, and for hope. These are common words in the Bible. They are common ways that the New Testament describes the Christian life. The Christian life should fundamentally be characterized by faith, love, and hope. And Paul is grateful for these things, for these virtues that he sees in the Colossian community. Faith, a grounding confidence in the identity and accomplishments of Jesus. A confidence that he is the promised one sent from God to rescue us and to rescue all of creation from the disaster created by sin. A life stabilizing confidence that although we have rejected God in Christ, He has welcomed us into His family and into His kingdom. And Paul is grateful for that confidence that he sees in the Colossian community. But he's grateful not only for a response to Jesus, but he's grateful also for a response to Jesus' people. So he's thankful Not only for faith, but also for love. And understand here that love does not mean this vague, abstract feeling of goodwill and warmth towards someone. Okay? This is for the children of the 80s. This is not the Care Bear stare. Okay? You remember the Care Bears and they have a problem? They would stare at it with feelings of compassion and light would come out of their bellies. Okay? That is not love. According to the Apostle Paul, love is dirt under your fingernails, 
practically caring for the people in proximity to you. It is a commitment to the good of those whose coffee breath you smell every Sunday morning. It is a commitment to seeking their good even at cost to your own interest. And Paul is thankful that he sees faith, this confidence, he sees love, he sees commitment to the good of God's people. And then he's also thankful for hope. It's interesting in Paul's letters, the way he uses these three virtues of faith, love, and hope. He puts them in different orders and he reveals different relationships between them. And here he shows that faith and love flow from hope. Faith and love happen because of hope. So the confidence in Jesus and the commitment to Jesus' people come from an expectation of what Jesus will do. Faith and love happen because of an expectation that Jesus will turn, will return and will raise those who belong to him and will renew all of creation. That is the hope that is laid up in heaven for us. And that expectation leads to faith and love. Paul says, and he's grateful that he sees that in this community and understand that hope in the letters of Paul and in the teaching of the New Testament, the hope that is laid up in heaven, it is not a hope that we go and get when we die. It is a hope that comes and gets us when Jesus returns and raises us from the dead and makes everything new. That is our hope. That is our expectation. And Paul is grateful that he sees that in the Colossian community, producing confidence in Jesus, commitment to Jesus' people. But there's a problem. And the problem is that Paul is bragging about these people and what he sees in them, but Paul has never been to this place. Paul never traveled to the city of Colossae. He never, he didn't start this church. He didn't pastor this church. So how can he speak so glowingly of their faith, love, and hope. Well, he tells us that he had heard about it. He heard about it from this man named Epaphras who had planted the church and pastored the church in Colossae. And Epaphras had come to Paul, and Paul had heard of the faith, love, and hope of the Colossian community. And here's what that suggests to me. It suggests that Paul was paying attention. You see, if you notice in his letters, Paul has a network of people spread throughout most of the known world. And part of the function of that network is they feed him information about these emerging young Christian communities, these young churches that have come to Jesus and are being shaped by him. And Paul, as he receives that information, he sifts through it, listening for faith, and love, and hope. What is he doing? He is paying attention so that he can be grateful. He is noticing the evidences of these virtues so that he can express his gratitude. 
He is paying attention, and as he pays attention and verbalizes what he sees and hears, he invites the Colossians, and he invites us into his search. He invites us into the search for evidences of faith, love, and hope. He invites us to have ears and eyes to see those things in ourselves and in the people around us. My wife, my wife makes fun of me uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but one of the reasons she makes fun of me is that I like to read. I, don't, I not only like to read books, I like to read about books. I love reading reviews. I love reading criticism. And whether it's books or poetry or art, uh, music, I love to read criticism. And for me, a great critic is a person who doesn't say this is good and that's bad. That's not good criticism. A great critic says, did you notice Did you notice how the director used that particular camera angle to create this response in you? Did you notice how the author used that turn of phrase? Did you notice how the painter used used this particular color or shape? That's a great critic. And Paul's role here is that of criticism. Great criticism. Because he says to us, did you notice? Have you, have you noticed? Have you seen? Have you heard these beautiful things in your life and in the lives of the people around you? Have you noticed? Have you paid attention to the evidences of faith and love and hope in your own life and in your community? This is so good and important for us. Because most of us in this room, we tend to notice lack. We tend to pay attention to failure. We see and hear our doubt. We see and hear our selfishness and the selfishness of the people around us. And we quickly go there. Paul is not saying that it's unimportant to notice sin and to pay attention to sin. But he wants us to notice something else. He wants us to see these beautiful things in our life and in the life of our community. And what I love about this is when he celebrates faith, love, and hope in the Colossian community, he's not celebrating the perfection of those things. This is a very imperfect Community. In fact, we will see in this letter, he confronts them in every area. He confronts and challenges their faith, their love, and their hope. They are not there yet. There is work to be done. But how does he begin his time with them? By celebrating the work that's already happened. By noticing the beauty and the goodness of where they are. And he's saying to us, notice in your life and in the people around you, notice not the perfection of faith, but those glimmers of trust produced by hope, even in your struggle with anxiety and fear. Notice in your life and in the lives of the people around you that hint of sacrificial action on behalf of someone else 
even in your struggle with selfishness. Pay attention to those evidences, even the small ones, and celebrate them. And you know those evidences? They're here. They are in this room. They are a part of Centerpoint Church. You see, when I heard you sing this morning, I heard an evidence of your faith produced by hope. When someone expresses a need in this community, this community jumps. What is that? It's love. It is love as Paul teaches it, and I celebrate that it is a part of this community. Will you join me in that celebration? Will you notice that with me? I want this to encourage you, but I also want this to shape our life together. That we are in each other's lives paying attention. Celebrating where we see faith, where we see love, where we see hope. I challenge you to do that this week. Do that in someone's life this week. Verbalize your attention to these good things. Friend, a spouse, leave together as spouses, it, is, it gets easier and easier to see the negative, right? Do you see the evidences of faith, love, and hope in your spouse? And do you say something about it? Do you celebrate it? What about your children? Can you celebrate these good things in their lives in addition to disciplining them? We will begin to learn what it is to live a life of gratitude when we learn to pay attention, when we learn to look for these things in our own hearts and lives and in the lives of those around us. Now, the question I have is, is this just a pious form of self-esteem? Is this just taking a kind of cultural message of self-esteem and layering on some spiritual language around it? Or, Or perhaps even worse, is this just training in being better at manipulating people with flattery? Of using fake, positive talk to manipulate people and get what we want out of it? Well, no to both of those questions. And no, because gratitude, as Paul models it here in this text, not only pays attention, but it moves from paying attention to making connections. There's an important repetition in this text, and it's the repetition of the word that is translated heard. See it throughout this text, and even into verse 9, uh, which, we didn't, which we didn't read. And we need to notice the connections between this repetition and particularly the repetition in verses 4 and 5. So Paul celebrates, he is thankful for the faith, love, and hope in the Colossian community. Why? Why does he celebrate that? Well, because, as we said, he heard. He heard from Epaphras of the faith, love, and hope. But why do those things exist in that community? Paul has heard about them, but why do they exist? How have they happened? 
Well, verse 5, they have heard something. And interestingly, according to verse 7, they've also heard from Epaphras. So Paul heard from Epaphras of their faith, hope, and love, but how does that happen? What did they hear from Epaphras? The word of truth, the gospel, the message of Jesus. So see what Paul is doing. He's saying, I am thankful for what? Faith, love, and hope. But I am also thankful for why? The gospel, the message of Jesus. He is drawing a connection between the fruit, the transformation that has happened in the lives of the Colossian believers, and the seed. The message of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. And gratitude is learned. Let me say it this way. It's good to notice fruit, like I said, and I just challenged you with. That is good. But gratitude is learned by connecting that fruit to the seed, to what produces the fruit. It's making the connection of the faith, love, and hope that we see in our lives and the lives of those around us to what causes that faith, love, and hope, which is the power of what Jesus has done. We celebrated Christmas with my parents in Thomasville, and and while we were there, my sister Charity was wrapping her present to my other sister, Julie. And my daughter, Georgia, decided that she wanted to help in that process. And by help, I mean sit and talk at Charity while Charity wrapped the present. And so they finished the job, they wrapped the present, and they put it under the tree. And Georgia walked over to the present, and she opened the tag, and she was not happy. Because the tag said, from Charity, to Julie, and she thought because of her involvement in the process, it should say from charity in Georgia to Julie. <laughs> what Paul is doing here in making these connections is he is helping us get the name right on the gift tag. You see, he celebrates the fruit in the Colossian community, he celebrates the ministry of Epaphras. But those names are not on the gift tag. He celebrates those things, but he offers his thanks to God. Why? Because the gift connects him to the giver. And we must join him in making those connections. That when we see good things in our life and the lives of those around us, we have to make the connection to the giver. That what produces that, what gives that gift, is the message of what God has done by sending His Son, Jesus. The gift must lead us to the giver. The fruit must lead us to the seed. And here's one, and there are many reasons, but here's one reason why that is vital, that we make that connection. It is vital for us to make that connection because if our gratitude sits at the fruit level, then our gratitude will be seasonal. Because the fruit, that change in our lives, it's partial, it's imperfect, and it's changing. It goes up and down. 
But when our gratitude moves from the fruit level to the seed level, then it is a constant driving force in our lives. Why? Because the seed, the gospel, is complete and perfect and never changing. Let the gift lead you to the giver. Let the fruit lead you to the seed because it is there that you will learn abiding and deep, life-changing gratitude. We're Presbyterians here at Centerpoint, if you didn't know that. We're Presbyterians, and Presbyterians are known for having a robust doctrine of sin. Total depravity. You know what? That's good, and that's true. It is good to know the depth of our rebellion. It is good to know the depth of our need. But listen, listen, we must be as skillful, no more skillful, at noticing grace as we are at noticing sin. We must be as skillful at noticing grace and its fruits as we are at noticing sin. And the evidences of grace are here. We see it in our lives and we see it in each other. Would you join me in noticing those evidences? And together as we do that, let's let it lead us to our Father. And let it teach us to say to Him, thank you. Let's pray.